Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 99. This week, we are doing Board Gamers Anonymous madness. And not just regular madness, we are doing February Frenzy, because it's not copyrighted, so there. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode. We're so glad to have you back this week. Now, we're doing something a little different, something a little bit bigger, something maddening. We're doing February Frenzy for Board Gamers Anonymous. Now, if you're not familiar with March Madness, that's where a whole bunch of teams come to play basketball. They get whittled down until there's a final winner of the entire competition. We are a little bit of a sports fan, but we're really board game fans. And what we wanted to bring you is... A total knockdown, drag out battle about the best board games this past year. And we're not just talking about, you know, one particular game against another, but we're talking about the themes of the games. Now, by this, I mean not just is it a fantasy game or is it a sci fi game, because obviously those categories and brackets are going to be there, but we're also taking a look at economic games, games that really and truly embody playing an economic system, and games that also have a historical or societal theme, something that really makes you feel like you're back in that civilization 
playing out those roles and developing a society firsthand. So for theme, it's not just the flavor, it's not just the art on the box, but it really comes down to when you sit down this game, are you getting what the game says it's going to give you? And through that theme, it really is a great experience and really what we look forward to when we sit down and play a great board game. Now, before we get into the brackets, Drew wanted to bring us some quick news about what's going on in the board gaming industry and something that you want to take a look out for, especially in your neighborhood. Drew? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. Since this is a special episode of Board Gamers Anonymous, we don't do our normal uh, around the table. We have to really focus on this. This is time-sensitive information, Barnes & Noble is uh, starting a pilot program for the month of March only. So that's uh, they're doing their own little March uh, frenzy. They're creating casual game gatherings. That's what they call it. It's basically game night. But uh, the reason why they're not calling it that is it's not like we think of as open gaming. Barnes & Noble is doing five targeted specific game evenings uh, centered around specific games each each Thursday of the month of March. A different game they're featuring. So they're promoting it, want to sell it, and they're also giving away promos for those games. If you show up and put in your name, I don't think they're giving promos to everybody. I didn't catch that, but they are giving a number of them, possibly promos to everybody who plays the particular featured game. It's a pilot program in that they're considering expanding it. It's only in about 10% of Barnes & Nobles around the country. So they're trying it out. If gamers go out and support it, show up for every Thursday in March, then they might expand that. They might expand uh, not only where they're doing it and when they're doing it, but also allowing more open gaming so we can try some other things there. That would be awesome because not every uh, local game store really has room for open gaming. So in those towns where you don't have a place, a nice open place to play, Barnes & Noble fills that niche. So it's a great great time, great chance to support gaming in general. Try it out every Thursday in March, but you have to check to see if your local Barnes & Noble is doing it. Not all of them are. So had to let you know that. Time sensitive. Back to you, Chris. All right, Drew. So now that you know about the local competitions that are coming your way, let's talk about the global competitions and the greatest board games from this past year battling out to the number one spot. And now, BGA's Feature Review. All right, so we talked about the four different brackets that we're going to have here that are all based upon theme. Now, as I said, my Euro brothers and sisters out there, do not worry. We have an economic bracket and a historical bracket. So to start off, let's talk about the historical bracket. Now, we had some great games here, and we're going to talk about some of the matchups that already happened, and we'll let you know about some of the consequences and some of the controversies that kind of battled out here. And we just want to give you a kind of a recap of where we're at so in the first round seven wonders was up against arboretum and seven wonders duel pulled it out obviously right um five france 1429 was up against mega civilization and of course mega civilization pulled that one out the next one yeah (laughs) (laughs) I i was the dissenting opinion on that one you can't you can't fight the Mega Man. It's it's everywhere. 
If, if you haven't tuned in in the last few months, Daniel is not a fan of this concept. It doesn't even have to do with actually how much I dislike the concept. I just think it, it's not a hit. We'll, we'll talk about it more. We'll get to talk about that. <laughs> and, All right. We also had Flick 'em Up versus Lanterns, the Harvest Festival. And Flick 'em Up, pass it on to the next round. Then we had Shakespeare versus Artifacts, Inc. And Shakespeare took it and moved on to the next round. We also had Voyages of Marco Polo up against Monikers. And, of course, the Voyages made its way through to the next round. Then we had a competition of New York 1901 versus Churchill. And in that competition, New York 1901 won out. Then we had Discoveries up against Dead Man's Draw. And, of course, Discoveries found its way to the next round. And finally for that bracket, we had The Grizzled versus Triumph and Tragedy. And in that competition, The Grizzled moved on to the next round. All right, gentlemen, so the first round of the historical bracket has finished up. Uh, any comments or, uh, you know, rage going on here about that? Want Mega Civilization gone, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we just mentioned that. I guess now is the time to talk about it for me i was surprised that mega civilization beat fief france 1429 because that one's actually about a historical period whereas mega civilization is loosely inspired upon historical empires but that's it right it's i mean there's no actual history in it you're making history yeah but that's the exact <laughs> opposite of history <laughs> History isn't make-believe, right? History is what happened. And Mega Civilization is essentially an alternate history game. Hey, you can't have alternative history without history, right? Right, but they're not the same thing. (laughs) Uh, We all know what you think of Mega Civilization. (laughs) Well, and like another one that I was was down on in this bracket is I was actually against Shakespeare and was for artifacts. Yes. Because while Shakespeare, you know, is named after a historical figure, the actual game is about essentially writing and marketing a play. Mm Mm-hmm. The historical details are at best incidental. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas artifacts seems to be, to me, a much more rooted in its history. Uh where even the gameplay captures that feeling of the sort of rush on stealing everyone's artifacts that happened <laughs> in the late eight, I guess, late 18, early 19, on through the early 20th century. Uh, and, and so I thought that would have been a, a stronger one there. But, you know. I don't know. I think the Shakespeare some. theme comes through pretty well. It's, it is pretty close to, like, what it was to put on a play in that time mm-hmm. and it had a lot of uh it had a lot of cool characters from the different plays including the bard himself fair enough yeah i was sorry that churchill got knocked out to new york 1901 i mean i love architecture and i love new york of course but churchill really kind of embodied more of the historical theme when i think of that type of game so kind of see sorry to see that one kind of fall out yeah it is a bit of a shame that both of the the gmt games here got knocked out because that's kind of what they do yeah, <laughs> it's this and I'm, and I was really impressed with Churchill. I think GMT has done such a phenomenal job over the last couple of years, really kind of translating theme into kind of more of a playable fashion instead of just like, you know, breaking your brain trying to look at that rule book. The, the toughest matchup I had in this bracket was, um, where is it? Oh, Flick'em Up and Lanterns. 
the Harvest Festival. They're both very good at capturing a moment of, in time. But what tipped it for me is Lanterns is just really a, a snapshot of a culture and a time period and a particular. It, it's like it's very, very colorful and of a time. But it didn't really live uh, as much as Flick'em Up because it Flick'em Up takes that very real Western showdown feeling, one family and another, the, you know, think of the OK Corral, and reproduces it pretty well. Even though you're just little flicking little things, the, you're in that mood, you're, you're in that time and place, you're feeling it, you're the Clanton gang or something. Um, so I think I, I tipped it in favor of Flick'em Up for that. Yeah. Really yeah, I really love Lanterns. It's a nice family game. I do hear what you're saying, Drew, but Lanterns has a very experiential component to it. You're laying down these lanterns in the water, and by the end of the game, you have this beautiful festival of lights, and it really is thematic. It really is dynamic, and how you place the lanterns and how you kind of match up the colors really does work, so... For me, I was really sorry to see lanterns uh, extinguished there. So, it, oh, it, it's more of a cultural thing than a historical thing. That's what really tips well, it because that's the sort of thing you can do today too. You can do the same thing. Well, you could have a shootout today too, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> you could, but let's not forget flicking bullets at cowboys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, enough for them. <laughs> enough for the fallen comrades that got hit by a stray wooden bullet. <laughs> and on to the next bracket, which is actually our fantasy bracket. So in this bracket, we had some great competition here because typically when you think fantasy, you do think theme. We looked at a lot more than just the fancy pictures. We try to get into the real gameplay here and see if it really did match up with a fantasy theme. So the first round competition was Blood Rage versus Tides of Time. And no big surprise here, all the rage is Blood Rage, and it moved on to the next round. We also had Above and Below versus Broom Service. And whether it was your favor or not, Above and Below showed up as in the next round. Then we had Elysium versus Tiny Epic Defenders. And Tiny Epic Defenders moved on to the next round. The next competition was Champions of Midgard versus Kingdom Death Monster. And <laughs> despite everything that you've heard, Champions of Midgard moved on to the next round. Then we had Mysterium versus Sylveon. And Mysterium moved on to the next round. Then we had a competition, Epic versus Cthulhu Wars. And despite all the madness that kind of ensued, Epic moved on to the next round. We also had Ashes, Rise of the Phoenixborn versus Rum and Bones. And it was Ashes, Rise of the Phoenixborn that moved on to the next round. Then finally, we had Argent the Consortium versus Magic the Gathering, Arena of the Planeswalker. And it was Argent the Consortium that moved on to the next round. So, gentlemen, what do you think about this competition? Any fond farewell words for the Fallen Comrades here? Good riddance. <laughs> uh, come on, man. No, I mean, there's some great games there, but I think the ones who should have won did win. I think I got all my wishes in this one. Damn it. <laughs> I am. I still, like, Chris and I both were surprised at Elysium losing to Tiny Epic I Defenders. I know. I'm it's not surprised. Tiny Epic Defenders. But remember, this isn't about the quality of the game. This is about how thematic they are. And Elysium, 
is maybe not that super thematic, honestly. At least not in my view. It didn't. I was fun. I liked playing it. I'm thinking about buying it, but it didn't ooze fantasy theme. I don't think Tiny Epic Defenders does either. I think they put them on kind of the same. I don't know. That was a tough one for me. Uh, the gods are unhappy with you, Daniel. <laughs> well, clearly not because I won. So <laughs> this is true. Anthony and Chris are unhappy with you. Well, there you go. And we are the gods of the podcast. There you go. Nonetheless. <laughs> I was actually surprised that Kingdom Death Monster didn't move on. I mean, it is a ridiculous, and by ridiculous, I mean wonderful, insane amount of miniatures that really do take the fantasy theme, I think, above and beyond anything you could possibly imagine as far as really frightening, abstract kind of monsters. I understand the gameplay may have been a little bit on the light side, but... Man, they did some amazing job with the sculptures there. Yeah, you could say that at Cthulhu Wars. That, that's, that's just true. that's such overkill, though. All the the different things. It's it's not about recreating the Cthulhu uh, mythos. It's just about throwing a bunch of miniatures on a board and fighting them out. And it just, I don't think it's true to Cthulhu to what. The, the whole theme it's just no it's, it's, i have a bad reaction to cthulhu. it's not what cthulhu would want it right no. <laughs> uh yeah i think drew said this at some point that like this particular bracket was almost a rising up against the miniatures because the miniatures did not win out here except in one case i think yeah i i mean i do like cthulhu wars for the fact that the miniatures are so big and i don't mean that by the fact of like hey it's cool to have miniatures but I think that they got the scale right for the board. I mean, these epic elder monsters, these gods are supposed to be so massive and so imposing. And most Cthulhu games you play, they really don't feel that big. They don't really feel that threatening. And I think that the Cthulhu Wars got this right. Um, obviously, a little bit on the light on the gameplay and a little bit light on the madness, but uh, a decent game. Light on the madness. It's light on the okay. madness. I, you know, when you when you play the game, you're like, I got a little bit of a headache, but I feel fine. You know, you take an aspirin, and you keep going. You know, you're only seeing like 14 different versions of emptiness and destruction, but that's that's all. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like they th- haven't driven me mad, but I'm I'm verklempt. It's basically you know, like so- it's basically like going to work on a Monday. That's basically what happens when you play the game. <laughs> you're like, I feel really upset with universe, but I'm okay. You know, so that's pretty much it for our fantasy bracket. Now on to our sci-fi bracket. So for our sci-fi bracket, we really expanded the theme of sci-fi. So some of these games are definitely hard science fiction, really incorporating science in a new way. Some of these games are more of a, along the lines of like an alternate reality or an alternate universe where science plays some role in the outcome, whether it's a certain level of technology that kind of comes into play or the characters or the aliens or time travel in some cases that actually kind of plays out. So for this category, what we're looking at here is the best sci-fi theme and the games were we had Pandemic Legacy versus Code Names, And of course, Pandemic Legacy rolled through onto the next round. Then we had Burgle Brothers versus Thunderbirds and Thunderbirds moved on to the next round. Then we had Star Wars Armada versus Legendary Predator. And Star Wars Armada moved on to the next round. Then we had XCOM versus Tiny Epic Galaxies. And it was XCOM that moved on to the next round. 
Then we had Forbidden Stars versus Hostage Negotiator. And it was Forbidden Stars that moved on to the next round. The next competition was Xenoshift Onslaught versus Steampunk Rally. And the winner was Xenoshift Onslaught. Our next competition was Time Stories versus Super Motherload. And it was Time Stories moving on to the next round. And finally, we had Baseball Highlights 2045 versus Spectre Ops. And it was Baseball Highlights 2045 moving on to the next round. So once again, gentlemen, what do we think about these? And what do we have to say for our fallen allies in the sci-fi universe? I think, again, I got my wishes. So. <laughs> so let me ask you this time, then. Did you choose XCOM or Tiny Epic Galaxies? I chose XCOM, but that one was actually a hard choice for me. Unlike in in the prior situation, part of this, I should admit that I am currently playing through XCOM, an XCOM variant called The Long War, which is a mod that makes the game way harder. But I've already pretty much beaten the first time once through already, and I'm, I'm playing it again. So part of this might be brand loyalty. But I think XCOM does a very good job capturing a sci-fi theme. I, I, agree. I give it. I give it props for being a game changer in a lot of ways, not just for the digital aspect of it, but that it adapted uh, video to to board game very well. Very well. Yeah, I mean, I'm with that. I think thematically it works really well. Whether it's a perfect uh, you know, copy of the feeling of a video game or not, it definitely captures kind of that sense of impending doom of the aliens coming to destroy us. So I liked that one a lot. Other tough ones in here for me, Baseball Highlights 2045 versus Specter Ops. That was kind of a rough one. Um, Specter Ops is, you know, a very interesting thematic game of kind of sneaking around. Baseball Highlights 2045 is just fun, silly, futuristic science fiction met, merged with baseball, which I love. I backed this <laughs> originally. Just the idea of hearing it was like, yes, of course. Why could that not already exist? Um, but a lot of the rest of these were pretty easy uh, <laughs> for me at least i don't know if anybody else had any tough ones not in this bracket no it, it was i mean i went with thunderbirds because that's sci-fi man it's perfect and it's a great ip and a decent game i really thought one of the interesting brackets although i guess it, in the end it became a, a no-brainer was star wars armada versus legendary predator and in part because legendary has been you know at least initially a, a failure for me it just plays too long it's too clunky it really never got the marvel universe kind of like a real good thematic feel for the marvel universe and predator actually does it a lot better and a lot smarter but I think that what happened with Star Wars Armada is it did something a little bit better than X-Wing Miniatures because it could have just been more of the same. And it really did incorporate some of the sci-fi technology that goes into these large capital ships on how they move in shields and weapons and things like that. So I think it's, it squeaked it out there for me personally about really taking into consideration, I guess, a little bit of the hard science fiction, if there is such a thing. But nonetheless, it moves on to the next round. And now let's talk about our final bracket. So for the final bracket, we're going to talk about economic games. Games that truly do have an economic engine to it. You really do feel like you're putting together an engine. 
you're selling products, you're building up resources, you're making a big stand in the economic market in a lot of different ways, whether it's selling products, moving up different stock markets, or just taking care of your customers in a very efficient way. Now, this competition was really my favorite bracket, so let's talk about it. First up, we had the Galleris versus Motanai, and the winner of that was the Gallerist. Then we had Nippon versus Signore, and the winner of that was Nippon. Then we had Mombasa versus Harbor, and the winner of that competition was Mombasa. Then we had another really interesting competition, which was Food Chain Magnet versus the Grand Austria Hotel. And the winner of that competition was Food Chain Magnet. We also had a challenge here because we had 504 versus Tricarion. So Magic versus this magical box that somehow produces 504 games. And the winner of that was Tricarion. Then we had Forge War versus Gold West. And the winner of that was Forge War. Then we had a competition between two cities and Cacao. And the winner of that was Cacao. Whoa! <laughs> More on this later. More on this later. That, that, that's a little bit of a teaser there. And finally, we have Isle of Sky versus Stockpile. And the winner of that was Isle of Sky. So, Drew, let me not hold you back any longer. I don't know. Possibly, maybe you have something to say about this bracket competition here? I don't know. This cacao, it, like, makes everyone think of Puerto Rico. And they think, oh, it must be a Puerto Rico expansion. Or uh, No, it's <laughs> – I, I don't know why everyone has this. You know, it's chocolate. We love chocolate. Um, I don't know why no love for Between Two Cities. It was a very unique mm-hmm. game. Anytime you're trying to play two boards at the same time and try to balance them, that's great economics. I, I don't see why it didn't it didn't match that description of sure. an economic game. It was everyone thinking of Puerto Rico with cacao? No, I I knew what cacao was. I just and I love Between Two Cities, by the way, but I wouldn't consider it an economic game. I'd consider it something like a I don't know, an urban planning game. Mm-hmm. It it's not fundamentally about participating in an, in an, an economy, right? You're not buying and selling. You're not acquiring assets, any of that. You're just planning your city. Mm-hmm. Uh, cacao is about a very sort of primitive form of, of economics, right? It's a very simple economic game. It's a very simple level of economy, right? It's not you know credit balancing and any of that. It's about bartering and harvesting and that sort of thing, but. That seems closer to the theme of economy than between two cities to me anyway. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and it, that was one of the interesting ones in this, as well as, you know, Chris mentioned Food Chain Magnate and Grand Austria Hotel, two big games right now, and then 504 and Tricarion. All four of those were tough for me. I think in the end, I, I kind of looked past 504 just because it's it's kind of everything in that box. It's not really... <laughs> Like, thematically speaking, it could be whatever it needs to be because there's so many, you know, combinations of game, whereas Tricarion is actually designed as a game, um, you know, kind of a standalone. It's it's one theme, and uh, it kind of follows through on that, so it does it well. Um, as for Food Chain Magnate and Grand Austria Hotel, I, again, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> I don't have the voting broke down on that one, but it was, a, it was a tough one to choose between because they're both so hot right now, but also so, you know, good representations of this particular thematic grouping. Yeah, for me, I I have played both games and I enjoy both games a lot. 
What I finally came down with is when I want to play an economic game, as much as I do love the variability of special powers, and that is definitely part of an economic game, but Food Chain Magnet was really kind of like you really have to dig into that. you got to build a serious engine. you got to build an engine for long term. And the Grand Austria Hotel has, for me, a little bit too much variability as far as the powers and the cards that kind of come up. So I really don't have to worry too much about the economic engine there as much as I do for Food Chain Magnet. The one that was challenging for me was the Galaris versus Motanai because Motanai is all about not making waste, about using your resources as much as possible and building a marketplace and selling your products in a very small box. And I really did enjoy that game. I understand the Galarist is also about the whole type of world when it comes to selling art, but, man, I'm really missing Motanai here. I think that's a question of seeding because Galarist was number one in the economic bracket. Motanai is 16. Yeah. I really have a problem with that. It's, it's a much better economic game than, than that. Yeah, true, especially with some of the other games there too. So I'm sorry to see that, but nonetheless. You can know, blame just... the seeding on uh, Board Game Geek ratings, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the gallerist moves on, and we're on to our thirsty thirty-two. The thrilling, the thrilling, <laughs> thrilling 32. thirty-two. There we go. Thirsty has some other connotations. Now we're on to our final brackets, and we're looking at thirty-two games and our sixteen games that are going to move on here. So we wanted to talk a little bit about how we chose these games and the massive, nasty backfighting that went into getting to this point and this alternate universe that the die that we use kind of inhabits and how it kind of messes with some of us and, and for some reason it really likes daniel a lot and allows him to win matchups that he should not be able to win we take these games from board game geek we look at the best games that came out this past year we look at the thematic categories all of the thematic categories no matter what bracket it is in and then we run into some situations where a game is a tiebreaker. We try to fight it out a little bit, try to convince the other people that we have the right choice. But when Daniel doesn't agree, then we go on to the final die. And the die rolling was actually this time provided by Anthony. And nonetheless, even though Anthony was rolling the die, it still loves Daniel. And therefore, we're on to this final competition. And some of us really feel upset about that. Um, so if you're listening, Who could at, that be, Chris? I don't know, you know, I, I am the voice of the people. And I know that a lot of you are at home now and being very upset with these choices. And I just want to let you know that you're not alone and we will get revenge somewhere, somehow next year, we will find this die and bring it to justice. I, I promise. No, 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 no. We have to search far and wide for a fifth person okay. to join us. We, we, yeah. we've got to do that. I like so the die, that's all right. So please, if you'd like to be the fifth person next year, write to us at, We'll have a whole year to consider your uh, petition. But yeah, having a fifth might help. We are honorary die for the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and if we you're... can have the fifth person roll the die. <laughs> My poor little blue die. You guys talking so much negative things about this die. It sits next to my computer every day. <laughs> Helps me make tough decisions. Okay. I, I hear you that. Okay. Well, I mean, if, if this competition is not getting your motor running, check out our episodes from last year. We actually ran this competition over several episodes with the die making some pretty insane decisions there. So I think that was a lot of fun. Jump back, listen to those episodes in March, 
And now that that's said, let's move on to the 16-team single elimination. All right, so now jumping back into our competition, the round of 32. So first up in our economic bracket, as we talked about earlier, we had the Galaris versus Isle of Sky. So we had a number one seed versus the number eight seed. And the winner was the Galaris. And the number one seed moves on. Next up, we had Mombasa, the number three seed, versus Forge War, the number six seed. And the winner of that was Mombasa. The number three seed moves on. Then next up, we had Food Chain Magnet, our number... Ver- then we had our number four seed, Food Chain Magnet, versus our number five seed, Tricarion. And the winner of that was Food Chain Magnet moves on. And then finally, in the last bracket for that round... We had Nippon versus Cacao, and the winner of that was Nippon moves on to the final bracket there. So, guys, any any last little battles here? No, I was super happy with this one. That was <laughs> everything I voted on. <laughs> and just like when when someone's happy, someone's definitely unhappy. Drew? Drew? A little bit? Me, I, I voted for Mombasa just because I don't think we should have any game with the word war in it. As an economic game. <laughs> it's out. It's gone. No Forge War. All right. So, <laughs> so it seems like we're on the same page. Let's move on to the next bracket. And for the next bracket, we're on to our fantasy area. So the first competition was number one seed, Blood Rage, versus number eight seed, Argent the Consortium. And the winner of that was our number one seed, Blood Rage. The next bracket was Champions of Midgard, our number four seed, versus our number five seed, Mysterium. And the winner was our number five seed, Mysterium. Comes up with the upset. Our next bracket was Above and Below, our numbers two seed, versus our number seven seed, Ashes, Rise of the Phoenixborn. And the winner of that was our number two seed, Above and Below. And the final competition for that bracket was Tiny Epic Defenders, our number three seed, versus our number six seed, which was Epic. And the winner of that was Epic, our number six seed with the upset. Gentlemen, anything you have to say about this before we move on? No, this pretty much went according to plan. (laughs) Thumbs up. I have to say, I I was a, a little disappointed not to see Ashes move on. It's it's an outstanding game, and it definitely plays in a lot to that magic kind of the gathering you know feel to it. But with dice, but some really beautiful, amazing artwork, and it does really fit the fantasy theme. All right, so moving on to our sci-fi bracket, we had Pandemic Legacy, the number one seed versus the number eight seed. Baseball highlights twenty forty five. And the winner of that was Baseball Highlights 2045. Our number eight seed upsets our number one seed. There are going to be rioting in the streets later. But and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> With the flu or some sort of random cube kind of thing. Then we had our number four seed, XCOM, versus our number five seed, Forbidden Stars. And the winner of that competition was XCOM. Moving on to the next round. Then we had Thunderbirds versus Time Stories. And the winner of that competition was Time Stories, our number seven seed, upsetting Thunderbirds, our number two seed. And then finally we had Star Wars Then finally we had Star Wars Armada up against Xenoshift. And the winner was Star Wars Armada. Moving on to the next round. 
How about this, guys? We feel okay with the force here? We're, we're good? What? What? Or do we feel okay? Do we feel okay? Do you feel a little sniffly that, you know, Pandemic Legacy was kicked out? You know, I think this is a this was a, a, a feud between soft science fiction and hard science fiction. Pandemic Legacy, yeah, it's not science fiction as such, but movies, you know, movies about worldwide contagions that kill off uh, Matt Damon and what was his wife's <laughs> name? Oh, who was the actress playing his wife who died in the first five minutes of the film or something? Anyway, um, spoiler it's sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> it's soft sci-fi, but don't blame Pandemic Legacy for that. Well, we're not blaming Pandemic Legacy. We're just giving points to Baseball Highlights 2045 for being an actual sci-fi game, whereas Pandemic Legacy is more like a disaster movie. Now, as I understand, you know, I, the, it can progress in various ways, uh, and I'll leave it at that. And I, I've got a few spoilers, but I'm trying to avoid them. Anyway, I, but I do understand that there's certain elements that may alter but baseball highlights 2045 it's straight out of the box a thoroughgoing sci-fi game no, it's straight out of 1950s issue of ec comics it's, yeah um, it's golden age sci-fi yeah robots playing baseball but it's still more science fictiony than pandemic legacy is which is at its core a disaster movie uh this was a tough one for me guys i don't know like to me you say sci-fi i think speculative fiction it could be really anything in that realm of you know this world but if you change to this um it doesn't have to be so far out there that we're you know we have giant battle cruisers in armada or you know fighting aliens on a foreign world in xenoshift but i see where you're coming from uh but it's i i definitely curse the die on this one yeah it's soft sci-fi but it's still sci-fi I mean, for me, um, there was and- another competition that really bugged me a little bit, XCOM versus Forbidden Stars. I mean, Forbidden Stars was basically Twilight Imperium in kind of a, a more manageable way. So that kind of 4X kind of situation about exploring, expanding, and just basically eradicating everybody, you know, it really does fit that kind of sci-fi theme, that epic type of op- you know, sci-fi opera that we have. And, uh, you know, if I'm looking for something sci-fi that really kind of embodies the theme, I'm going to be looking for, you know, Forbidden Stars. But uh, I don't know. A lot of X- XCOM fans here. And Time Stories, I think, is seated way too low. You can't really call it an upset just because Thunderbirds was rated higher. Thunderbirds is fluff, essentially. It's a fun game. But Time Stories, I love time travel. That's my bias. But um, it has legs. That's it's pure sci-fi, classic sci-fi, and there's a lot you can do with Time Stories. For our first competition, we had Seven Wonders Duel, our number one seed versus the Grizzled, their number eight seed. And the winner was our number one seed, Seven Wonders Duel. Mm. All right. <laughs> then on our next competition, we had our number four seed, Shakespeare, versus our number five seed, Marco Polo. And the winner was... Marco Polo, moving on to the next round. Then we had an interesting competition, which was Mega Civilization, our number two seed, versus Discoveries, our number seven seed. And the winner was Mega Civilization. And for our final competition, we had probably our most interesting competition, Flick'em Up versus New York 1901. And the winner was Flick'em Up. Pulling out the win there. Okay. So, gentlemen, anything about this final kind of competition bracket until we talk about the uh, Sweet 16? Single most disappointing bracket in the, in the entire <laughs> process. What? 
I, I was against Seven Wonders and Four of the Grizzled. I was against Mega Civilization and Four Discoveries and against Flick 'em Up and Four New York 1901. And I lost all three of them. Now, I lost them on votes, so I can't complain about the die. But I just, Seven Wonders is a wonderful game and, and all this, but it's like vaguely history flavored. Whereas the Grizzled works to actually bring you into the theme, right? Tries to actually bring you into the experience of uh, surviving trench warfare. Likewise, I have my same complaint that I have for Seven Wonders I have for Mega Civilization, that it's barely historical at all. Like, it's it's wrapped in a historical wrapper, and that's about it. And flick them up, like, the whole idea of the Wild West being a place where shootouts happened all the time is historically inaccurate anyway. And while it's an awesome game, it's not, like, an actual historical period. It's like a Hollywood fiction. Well, come on. New York 1901 is not really historical either. You're just playing with, with tiles or blocks. You're just It's urban renewal. I don't think as much history as it is an abstract game. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not the most thematic history game out there, but I do give it credit for being an actual period of time that actually happened, <laughs> as opposed to a myth propagated by John Wayne. Like, <laughs> Well, Daniel, the die disagrees with you. So, no, Was that even the die? I think you guys... Was the yeah, yeah, we were split. Oh, split it was the that. die, yeah. Oh, die. <laughs> Let me now, down. Daniel, I'm go- I'll give you a little sympathy on the grizzled. Seven Wonders, we always think of that as a historical game, and yeah, maybe the original, and maybe uh, cities, and maybe leaders, but Seven Wonders Duel isn't really about history. It's about adapting Seven Wonders to a two-player format. That's all it is, and it's not so much historical. I might at some point even have changed my vote to the Grizzled because of that, but I'll stand by it. Yeah, I really... I, I, but I do have sympathy for you. I really do enjoy both games, and they do have a good historical thematic flavor to them, and it does play out throughout the game. I just felt Seven Wonders Duel did a little bit more to kind of get that through, uh, but I could easily see the Grizzled in this kind of bracket competition moving on to. All right, guys, so we have our, I guess, legally distinct Sweet 16, and we'll call it, you know, sugar-free Sweet 16? I don't know, something like that. Um, um, the, no, the sugar, the sugar sweet dozen and a third. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right there. So with that said, let's move on to those 16 single elimination competitions. All right, gentlemen. So now we're on to our final brackets here. We have starting up our economic bracket with the Galleris versus Mombasa. Gentlemen, what do you think? Daniel, why don't you start us off? Uh, I like the Galerist. I think it is... And I mean, both are great games. At this point in time, let's let's just get that out of the way. Nothing bad is left on the table, right? So everything here is wonderful and great and fantastic. Just remember, uh, you said that about Mega Civilization, folks. You heard it here. <laughs> oh, it's recorded true. for no, there posterity. Is, there, there is a monstrous. No, thing. no, it's I too late. It's it. recorded. It's on the air. You the heard lurking, it. <laughs> the lurking abomination in the corner of my vision. I have blocked it out for my own mental coherence. It's too late. Um, you said it. <laughs> Chris so is going to this together to have you saying that you love Mega Civil Over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> anyway, uh, I like The Gallerist. It's an interesting take on a sort of secondary economic ca- class, right? The You know, you've got these artists, you've got consumers, and you need the middleman, the Gallerist. Uh, and I think it provides an 
a very interesting sort of microeconomic game. So that's my vote. Okay. Well, I'll jump in here. Galarus is a great game, but Mombasa really does something I've never seen before. It's a true economic game where you are moving out and expanding in Africa, being able to um, take advantage of resources, which is you know part of any great game. And you have bananas, and you have cotton, and you have coffee. But that's not it. If that was just it alone, then I would say, okay, it's it's a decent game and, you know, it's fun. But you also have all these different stock markets. There's four stock markets in this game that go on each side of the board. And you have an opportunity while you're exploring to kind of jump ahead in these stock markets. So while one of these different ports are expanding and growing in Africa – you can kind of wager on that stock market. So nobody has complete control over one economic engine, and you're always voting. It's tremendous fun. The economic engine that kind of comes into play changes a lot based upon where you start off with, and it has a lot of variability, and I just love Mombasa, and that's my vote. Chris, you had me at stock market. There you go, buddy. Uh, stock market. <laughs> that's why That's why I would side with Mombasa on this one. I... I really appreciate the chance to invest in companies and then try to uh, develop the co- the companies and their their trading, uh, the trading routes and anyway try to build them up and have it pay off for me. I, I like that kind of economics. I'm tired of economic games where you're building a farm and trying to run a farm. <laughs> the gallerist is just a modern fancy version of masterpiece, um, buying and selling artworks. But Mombasa, I love stock market games. All right, Anthony, final vote. What, what do you say? Uh, this was actually a really tough one. I was hoping you guys would just all pick the same thing so I didn't have to worry about it. Mombasa <laughs> um, <laughs> um, is very unique. It's very interesting to look at. And the, anytime you mix a stock market element into the game successfully, it's, it's hard to not consider that. And then consider you got it. the gallerist. What's up? Consider it. Consider it. Consider it. Yeah. <laughs> And then the gallerist, which is just this brilliant new game from Vitel Lacerda that it just looks beautiful, but it also plays so wonderfully. And it has a solo variant, which, I mean, come on. Oh, no. And I not appreciate Solo that. guys. He's coming well, out. It's your bias. Your bias. Yeah. So um, that's the tiebreaker for me, guys. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go with the gallerist, which unfortunately means that our little blue friend is going to decide this one. Oh, all right. Live. This time it's live. We all get to be here. Yes, so you get to hear this in the microphone. <laughs> Everybody out there. Oh, I forgot to say. <laughs> I'm, picking, I'm picking it up. That didn't count. If it is odd, I'm rolling a 20-sided die. If it is odd, it's the gallerist. If it's even, it is Mombasa. So now I'm rolling again. 13. The gallerist wins. Modern art in a different box. Come on. No. Mombasa. Blame the die. Blame the die. Bastards. (laughs) All right. So our next competition in our economic bracket is also another kind of challenging one. Food chain magnet versus Nippon. Uh, Daniel, why don't you start us off again? I don't really have anything interesting to say here. I'm just voting for Food Chain Magnate because I think it's a slightly more thematic economic game. Like, it's, again, this is a pretty close one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just coming down to taste here. 
and so um, I think Food Chain Magnate captures the sort of larger scale considerations of modern industry better. Okay. Well, let's see if there's a uh, you know dissenting opinion there. Anybody else there? Yeah, I'm going to jump in. Uh, for me, Food Chain Magnet is it's brilliant game, so I can't argue with that. But Nippon, uh, to me, perfectly captures that period in Meiji area Japan when everybody said, "Hey, we should modernize," and the whole game is about modernizing. It's about being one of those four great um, industrialists in Japan who has to build out this industry. That's all the game's about. You're building industry in Japan. So you have this beautiful board and all these different components that you're using to build up your industry and all these different things that have to convert into different materials to make this happen. Everything you do affects some other part of that economic engine, and it's all intricately placed together. It's it's this really interesting way to kind of bring it all together, and I haven't really played anything quite like it before. I really enjoyed it. So while I do love what Food Chain Magnate does, and it's just so much going on there, I'm going to have to go with Nippon just because, for me, it was a better... It felt like building the economy of a com- of a country. Okay. Drew, what about you? Um, these are both big, heavy games. And to me, it comes down is, to the one that most makes me feel like Democker, uh, <laughs> which is my current favorite uh, heavy game. Um, they both have both these games have something to say for it. Like Anthony said, this is where you're affecting an entire country. Basically, you're trying to to juggle it. But food chain magnate really captures that feel uh, of Demacher, where you've got to have your finger in so many different pies, so many different things going on, and try to juggle and balance and um, fine tune, get things just right. I, I think it captures that. Um, that feel even though democracy is not an economic game i'm I'm thinking of heavy meaty a lot of decisions and i would go with food chain magnate this is a really rough competition here and I, i for me personally looking at all the brackets that are available right now it's honestly the hardest bracket for me to choose from and both both of these games really deserve to move on because they do theme so very well and in a nice and interesting way that's really engaging. And that's what we're talking about theme here, really engaging into that economic engine for this game. <sighs> there's no good choice and there's no bad choice here. I'm just going to say for the depth, and I think Drew made a good point here, when you're looking at a game where you really want to kind of invest, i got to go with Food Chain Magnet because – you you're building an enormous staff of people to help you out and then on top of which there is this whole additional other part where you're marketing goods you're selling to different neighborhoods you're you know you're pushing out other competition by moving into good spaces so food chain magnet is moving on i'm sorry i don't agree but i can't argue it's a great game yeah, you, either way is it's such a loss one way or the other. But <laughs> d- remember, it's not about these games are not bad. You should play both of these games, and then if play. If you mo- can afford, if you can afford. <laughs> well, I mean, Food Chain Magnet is a very expensive game, but you will be able to get it at a cheaper price in the U.S. pretty soon. So just hold that a little bit longer. You will be able to pick that up. But in the meantime, play Mombasa because it's amazing. <laughs> That's true. The two games we picked were very expensive. They're so. very expensive <laughs> games. All right, guys. So now on to our fantasy bracket. Now, in this first competition, we have Blood Rage 
versus Epic. So who amongst us, who amongst the the gentlemen out here will speak up for Epic? Not I. No, sir. (laughs) Crickets. (laughs) <laughs> all right so <laughs> so it seems like you know <laughs> we're not here to speak <laughs> we're here to bury the dead here <laughs> and oh, the dead on. here is epic and it's been buried under all that blood and rage and the four of us are moving blood rage to the next round let me just speak up for epic though because blood blood rage clearly needed to win this that wasn't never in question but epic is a very good game if you like ccgs and hate the idea of spending money on them after you've already bought a bunch of cards um this is a great game this is for all of the grown-up gamers out there who've moved beyond magic it's epic is a great way to enjoy that and it does feel like a epic game the the name is actually a a good fit for this but it is nowhere near we're talking fantasy theme definitely got to go blood rage all right, so our next competition is Mysterium versus Above and Below. Daniel, why don't you start us off again? Here I'm going to go for Above and Below with a, a, a relatively strong bent, too. And part of this is probably because I like story-driven games so very, very much. But, you know, this is supposed to be a fantasy bracket, and I just feel that Above and Below captures more of those fundamentally fantasy themes right mysterium definitely has a strong touch of the fantasy about it though it's more of something like a ghost story right uh than your sort of traditional fantasy story uh but i think given the sheer amount of theme that above and below has right there's an expansive number of stories to be told uh and also just how creatively that story is conveyed Above and Below is far more effective at capturing the fantasy theme than Mysterium is. Okay. I will speak up for Mysterium. You know, I played Mysterium and Above and Below. And Daniel's right. You know, looking at a traditional fantasy theme where you have creatures just lurking below the surface and journeying down below to be able to get some rare resources, meet some creatures, add some allies to your party... Above and Below does a good job at that, and having this a little additional story element put on top of what is basically a kind of basic worker placement mechanic does work pretty well. Why I'm going for Mysterium here is because I think it did something very unique in its storytelling in that most people recognize the fact that what we're looking at here is Dixit cards, and this game could have simply been, here, here's some kind of Dixit cards, what do you think about the mystery here and kind of walk away? But Mysterium really does incorporate some amazing artwork, amazing production in the pieces. But what you're really trying to do is you're trying to you're playing the ghost and giving these visions to these psychics. And by using the Dixit cards, it really truly does fit the theme. You got these really weird and surreal images, but somewhere in that surreal image, somewhere in that dream, somewhere in that vision, There is an element of truth there that the psychics are trying to pick out to be able to figure out who caused the murder, what did they use, and where did it happen. And it really just plays out so beautifully, and it plays a nice cooperative element in a way that I've never seen before. So that's why I'm going with Mysterium. Drew, what about you? Well, I have to side with Mysterium also. Above and below is dependent on the players to create the fantasy through the story i don't think the game is naturally a fantasy it's it sets it up 
and then the players create it. So you're really dependent on them. Whereas Mysterium gives you that. It, it may be a niche of, of the fantasy world, but horror and ghosts, definitely fantasy, and it really puts you in that. It's just a basic clue-type game. You're, you're trying to solve a mystery using your, your logic and deduction, but they really create a quite a world, a deep world. It gets you in it. The, the theme of the mediums and the ghosts, uh, very rich. They set that up very well, whereas I think Above and Below doesn't set it up as well. It relies on the players adding that element. So Mysterium is my choice. Okay. And Anthony, what about you? Yeah, I 100% agree with Drew that uh, Above and Below kind of puts it to the players. I, however, disagree that that makes it less fantasy. I think it makes it more so. Um, the elements are there, and the role-playing the role playing aspect of that kind of brings out a different component to a, a strategy game that would otherwise be, as Chris said, kind of a relatively straightforward worker placement style game. Um, Mysterium is, you know, this very unique, brilliant game. Um, I got to stand in the line as people fought to get in there to try to get it at Gen Con. So I, I know this has been, you know, top of people's mind for a long time. But for me, Above and Below is just such a unique experience and offers kind of a new and interesting way to explore that fantasy. Kind of not full-blown, kind of a little more low-key, but it's still there and it's still persistent throughout that world. And you really do feel like you're in a world um, that's been built for you, but that you can kind of explore on your own. So I'm going to go with Above and Below. To the die! Oh, no! We're coming down to the final seconds, the last shot. Who's going to win? Ah! <laughs> All right, so for this one, we have Mysterium is odds, Above and Below, evens, rolling the die. 20. Natural yes! 20. How uneven. I've lost two of them. Uh, no! <laughs> I, get, I, I'm, I, I don't want to say anything, but I'm getting a vision about you guys, and it's not good. Oh. <laughs> Although it's blurry in multiple colors, and it's somehow it's a, a hippopotamus carrying an umbrella. So who knows? It could be good. You never know. <laughs> All right. So that's above and below. Moving on. Now let's jump up to our sci-fi bracket, and we have Baseball Highlights 2045 versus Star Wars Armada. Anthony, you got to have something to say about this. Why don't you go first? <sighs> yeah, I mean, Baseball Highlights 2045 is great. Um, I'm still a little sore that it beat out Pandemic Legacy. And if, if we're being honest here, the game itself doesn't really require there to be robots or cyborgs. It could just be Baseball Highlights. So... That, combined with the fact that we're going up against Star Wars Armada, which is Star Wars with giant ships on this massive board slash table slash playing Star Wars with massive ships. I mean, it's got to be Star Wars Armada. And I love Baseball Highlights 2045, but here it's no contest. Okay. Ooh, so, I, so I beg you... to differ. Uh, for me, it's going to go strongly to Baseball Highlights 2045, partially for one of the reasons you highlighted. It's Star Wars. It's not really a sci-fi theme. This is kind of picking hairs, but the super established... I, splitting hairs. Picking hairs? That's weird. Splitting hairs. Star Wars is a super established IP, and more importantly, Star Wars Armada is... like That's not the level at which that IP usually functions, right? Usually that IP is at the, function, uh, at the level of individual people moving around, engrossed in a sci-fi world, lightsabers and all that. Um, but it honestly might just suffer from the... I've heard it all before. And yeah, I heard it from you, but I've still heard it all before. 
for Star Wars, right? I'm familiar with all this. Yes, we get it. Yes, we understand. Yes, that's a Star Destroyer. Good for you. Baseball Highlights 345, I don't know, just seems a little more creative and a little more free with the uh, what sci-fi can be and what sci-fi can do than Star Wars is. So that's my vote. All right, Drew, what I, about you? Well, I side with Daniel. I think what he's trying to say is Star Wars Armada is not science fiction so much as it is pop culture. So it doesn't really fit sci-fi anymore. It's gone way out of there. In my mind, you know what I think of miniatures. Anthony, I'm sorry, but that's <laughs> so you're how saying it is. <laughs> any, any established IP has graduated out of its theme. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Um, you could go up and down the toy aisle, open up a bunch of boxes of Star Wars toys, and just stick them on a board and move them around, and you have oh. Star Wars Armada. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay, that's a little more harsh. Than <laughs> I think so. Maybe I should. I kind of mention how much I hate miniature games. <laughs> I never said that. Um, so yes, baseball highlights uh, is very inventive. Um, I'm sort of siding on the fact that robots are only partially necessary to the game but i can get into it i can see it. it like i said it's the old ec comics from the 50s i i get it i'm there i'll vote for that okay i would go along with you drew if it wasn't for the fact that star wars armada really went to the extent of having different areas of the ship having different power to be able to shield certain what you know areas and having their small snub fighters act differently thematically and mechanically in the game to have the large ships really truly feel large if this was x-wing miniatures i may be able to agree with you but the rule set the power set that goes into this game is fundamentally different it's a brilliant game it's heavy in theme both in how it looks but also how it plays so i'm gonna go with star wars armada Back to the die to the die Daniel. I hope you're lucky on this one. I'm on your side. Anthony, use the force. We'll find out if I'm good luck or you're bad luck. That's what we'll find out right now. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, baseball highlights 2045 is odds, and Star Wars Armada evens. Rolling a die. One. Yes! Ah, baseball highlights oh 2045. My... <laughs> <laughs> we might lose so... Chris tonight, guys. Ah, so much. <laughs> die! <laughs> I cannot believe Baseball Highlights 2045 has made it this far. It's a great game, but it's 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 very it off a sci-fi. Couple big games. All right, all right, I'm gonna move on and somehow move on from this. I don't know how, but all right, XCOM versus Time Stories. All right, gentlemen, Anthony, why don't you start us off? Ah, uh, this is a tough one. Um, I think in this case. XCOM definitely feels sci-fi. As I mentioned before, uh, it, it is not only do you get the general th- theme of it, you know, fighting aliens and having to manage all these things, but the way that the app and the timer kind of forces that pressure on you to deal with it feels very much like there is an alien invasion. We have very little time. We need to deal with this and we're probably all going to die. <laughs> um, so that's fun. Um, <laughs> but then you have time stories, which is this, wonderfully unique game that unlike pandemic legacy is easily sci-fi there's no argument here this is a sci-fi game you are traveling through time to make changes 
to undo certain things or solve certain mysteries. And it changes depending on which module you're playing, but the core idea is, remains the same. You're in this time core trying to, you know, affect the timeline. Um, I'm actually going to use Drew's argument here, uh, even though I didn't like it in the last one, because <laughs> to me these are kind of even uh, thematically. And I'm going to go with Time Stories because it's not an IP. It's not bringing in existing pieces. It's something new and unique. And it still manages to do all that sci-fi stuff so cool. So Time Stories for me. All right. Anybody else speaking up for XCOM? I don't know. Come on. You got like 600 hours into the video game. I know. This is one of the most difficult challenges I've encountered. Because on the one hand, the integration of the app, like Anthony was saying, makes XCOM, the board game, feel way more sci-fi than it might have otherwise. Right? There's the, the robotic voices and the commanding officer with their Star Trek style little tablet in front of them, right? giving them all the information they need and vital feed out, feedback and that sort of thing. Uh, on the other hand, Time Stories is a really intricate and beautifully novel uh, science fiction game. I guess in the spirit of being contrary, if nothing else, <laughs> because I know this vote will already have been countered by Anthony's, I'm going to go with XCOM, uh, but also because I think that XCOM is more paradigmatically science fiction than Time Stories is. So Time Stories does have a very strong science fiction uh, background to it. But it's also a bit like, say, Assassin's Creed was, where it's, yeah, there's a sci-fi backstory, but you're also going to be spending most of your time somewhat detached from it. Not very much, but somewhat. Uh, so I think because XCOM never gives you a break from being science fiction-y, right? It's constant high-speed aliens, robots, machine, you know, laser machine guns and all that. It's going to go for XCOM. All right, Drew, what about you? Mm-hmm. XCOM is a game changer. I respect its place in, uh, you know, in our hobby and how it brings digital and analog together. Cool. But, hey, time travel, guys. Time travel. <laughs> I'm going with Time Stories. All right. As Daniel said, this is a very hard choice. XCOM's app in this game really does add a lot to it. And to be able to see this map in front of you with flying sorcerers kind of surrounding different continents. Yeah, I mean, that does feel sci-fi. The only thing I'm going to say is the actual gameplay of it, I got a chance to play the scientist. And I did enjoy that role. But there was a lot of downtime for me personally in the game. And it really took me out of the sci-fi theme And just playing cards really didn't keep me connected. But the idea of Time Story and the idea that plays out through Time Story without giving too much away really does feel that you're doing something that is truly alien and, you know, science fiction through and through. So I'm going to go for Time Stories. Yeah. (sighs) And Time Stories moves on to the next round. Give that die a rest. (laughs) Now on to our historical societal themes, and let's talk about the first matchup here. That's Seven Wonders Duel versus Flick 'em Up. Anthony, what do you got for us? <laughs> All right, so this is an easy one uh, for me, anyways. While I love Flick 'em Up, and it is fantastically fun, and is a perfect representation of that cartoon Wild West, Seven Wonders Duel is equally fun, but at least draws, you know, it has all those different, you know, pieces at least of the historical background. I'm going to go with Seven Wonders Duel on this one. All right. 
I'm gonna be honest. This is the exact opposite for me of the last bracket. Of I don't. I I I don't care. <laughs> you know. Okay. I I totally get what you're saying. Is like there's flaws to both games as historical. Yeah. Well, oh, Seven okay. Wonders doesn't have much in the way of history, but it does have some society in it. So I'll go for Seven Wonders then. Uh, for just the opposite, I'd, I'd choose. Since you're going to clarify that, um, I think. Uh, hold on, what is the name of the game? <laughs> Flick 'em up. I lost that for a moment. I think Flick 'em up really does a good job of, of rec- you know, compare it to Bang. It's the same thing, but Bang is just you're playing cards and you're. This is so much better because it's the visceral thing. You're actually getting your hands involved and you're aiming and you're, ah. Um, I think it does a better job. It fits. I'll, I'll vote for Flick 'em Up. Yeah, for me, I, I do enjoy a good dexterity game and Flick 'em Up probably is the best when it comes to theming there because the pieces really do play so much of part of telling the story. But Seven Wonders Duel does something I think that's even in some ways better than the original Seven Wonders in that you are really encountering one other civilization in a really deep and meaningful way. And you're having an opportunity to build multiple wonders and the military back and forth really does make a difference. It's not just scoring some random points. You can win with just a military victory. So Seven Wonders Duel is my pick and moving on to the next round. All right, so for our final bracket here, we have the Voyages of Marco Polo versus Mega Civilization. And just because we're not sure what his guess might be, Daniel, why don't you start us off? <laughs> yeah, so Marco Polo, by just an enormous margin, uh, is vastly more historic than Mega Civilization is. So, yeah, Voyages of Marco Polo. All right, Anthony, why don't you jump in there? And uh, what do you have to say about that? I agree. <laughs> I love Voyages of Marco Polo. I think it's a great game, and it, it does capture a lot of, you know, I don't think it's a great history lesson necessarily, but as a game, as a Euro, you get a good feel for that era, and you get to meet a bunch of nice characters who are all very different. Um, and the game itself is brilliant, the way it you know it takes all these different things and kind of pushes you across the map between Europe and Asia. So Voyages of Marco Polo for me. So despite the fact that Anthony was kind enough to give this to me as a birthday gift, I do love Voyages of Marco Polo. It is one of my favorite games this year, and it's definitely going to make it up in my rankings. And it's great to actually place you know, some of these historical characters on a map that Marco Polo traveled. But Mega Civilization is about building a civilization, and it is historically bound to those different areas and those different civilizations. And I do want to invest that amount of time, you know, really getting into all the different generations and how that society kind of builds up. So I'm going mega. Okay, well, I'm going to make your vote irrelevant. I'm going with Voyages of Marco Polo, again, because it's, it is more based on history. Well, at least Marco Polo's version of history. We don't know how much of that is fantasy. And less on the speculative that mega civilization uh, represents. I, I like that. It's an uh, it's a, a time period that doesn't get a lot of attention. I like to focus on it and uh, enjoy being a part of that world. Marco Polo. All right. Well, two great games and the voyages of Marco Polo will be moving on. Daniel, it's gone. Huzzah! <laughs> it's huh. it's like the end of Lord of the Rings. Daniel can finally feel free. 
<laughs> now all the games that minus a finger. <laughs> That's right, Daniel. We do have to take a finger from you. Uh, if it meant that Mega Civilization would go away, I would consider it. <laughs> and no one would ever do this kind of thing again. All right, so now on to our final eight. So first up, we're looking at the Gallerus versus Food Chain Magnet in our economic bracket. All right. So, Drew, why don't you start us off for this round? Did I mention Masterpiece, uh, Modern Art? Um, maybe it's just the fact that the theme doesn't really appeal to me uh, buying and selling art and trying to run an art gallery and make money it just seems so light so inconsequential so uh soho i guess oh <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we're from new york sure um it's just a gallery whereas trying to build a food empire uh, you get so so deep into it, so far drawn in to having to keep all of these uh, balls juggling in the air and not letting any of them drop. You get more of that feeling with food chain magnate than you do with gallerist. You just figure if if you lose a gallerist, well, it was mummy and daddy's money anyway, so you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It it just doesn't draw me in as much. As Anyone in our audience who happens to work at a gallery, <laughs> this the following are not the views of Board Gamers Anonymous <laughs> podcast. All right, email him at Drew at Board Gamers Anonymous. <laughs> hey, I, I already said what I liked: food chain magnate. All right, so how about somebody from the gallerist? You know, it's weird. If I had to, if the two were on the table in front of me, I'd almost certainly play the gallerist, but. Since we're talking about here what has the theme better, I'm I'm going to have to go Food Chain Magnet as well. Mm-hmm. Because I think the large corporate entity that you are building in Food Chain Magnet is more fundamentally characteristic of modern economics than the small uh, scale economics of the gallerist. Um, so I'm going to have to go for Food Chain Magnet, I think. All right, Anthony, what about you? Yeah, despite the solo variant and the gallerist, I do have to agree. Um, Food Chain Magnet is just such a... It's the same reason, you know, I was, you know, pining for Nippon. It's just, it's the scale of it. It's something big and massive compared to, like, this tiny little... The gallerist, you know, as you guys said, is just it's one little microcosm. And if you're not particularly interested in that microcosm, despite the fact that the artwork is, is pretty interesting because, you know, they got it from real artists, the Food Chain Magnet's got to be it on this one. Yeah, I'll just throw in a little bit you know, information about Food Chain Magnet. If you haven't seen the game yet, you should definitely check it out. It's about the 1950s and about, you know, selling to that community back then. I mean, everything, all of the artwork really has that kind of diner theme to it, down to the point where the player aids actually looks like a menu that you would pick up at a 1950s diner. So with that said, Food Chain Magnet moves on. All right, gentlemen, now our next competition here, and I think one of our interesting competitions here, we're going to talk about the fantasy bracket. So we have Blood Rage versus Above and Below. Drew, how about starting us off? Oh, come on, don't. Don't. I resisted Blood Rage simply because you guys are all into it, and it's just so, it's like, uh, the hype. Come on, Drew. All the cool kids are doing the rage. I'm an anti-hype guy. (laughs) And I'm not crazy about above and below, as you guys either. But um, so it's it's a peer pressure thing. I I really have to go with Blood Rage. 
because okay. I think it fits this category better. But that doesn't mean I'm ever going to play it. One. Feel the rage, Drew. Feel the rage. <laughs> All right. I think we go Anthony's pick. What about you, Daniel? I'm actually going to go above and below. I love Blood Rage. It's a game we played like three times when you guys were over here last weekend. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think that above and below is more fantastical than Blood Rage is. Or I guess better captures the fantastic elements than Blood Rage does. There's definitely a lot of theme in Blood Rage. So this isn't saying that Blood Rage isn't thematic. I want to say that and you know, get that out and on record. Uh but I think that above and below, partially through the way that it's manifested Fusil's story vignettes and uh, there's such a variety in the world as opposed to Blood Rage where the world is relatively known. And I feel like that presence of the unknown is something that is very important to developing a sort of fantastical world. And so I think above and below does a very good job for that. So that's my vote. One of the interesting things about above and below is actually, in fact, you don't have to go below you can actually stay above and build a whole little world on just the land that you have and pick up some resources and never really engage too much in that fantasy element once you go below. Now, why you would do that, I don't know. Maybe there is an easier way to victory there. But when you play Blood Rage, as Daniel knows all too well, you get some rage in you. (laughs) And after the games we played, Daniel was in a full rage, so I'm going to go with Blood Rage. And... That means Blood Rage moves on to the next round. I don't think I was particularly rageful. I think you were a little rageful. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now on to our sci-fi bracket. And we have a really interesting competition here. We have one of our favorite time story versus the Cinderella story of this entire bracket competition. Baseball highlights 2045. With that said... Drew, why don't you take us back and let us know what game you're moving on. <laughs> Me first again? I'm just hoping to, to pull All right. back. All right. um, I'm, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step up. <laughs> step up no, why plate. me? I don't want to do it. All right, I'm going to do it. <laughs> step up to the plate and swing for the fences, which probably indicates to you that I'm going to go with time stories. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> nice head fake there, Drew. Nice head fake. All right, Daniel, what about you? Take me out to the ball game. <laughs> Take me out to the crowds. I'm going to go with baseball highlights 2045. I stand by what I said that I think Time Stories is a wonderful and very thematic game, but it isn't very paradigmatically uh, science fiction. I think baseball highlights just has more sci-fi in it. I don't think necessarily it's a better game, actually, but I do think it has more sci-fi in it. All right. Anthony, what about you? I almost want baseball highlights to win just to see what happens, just to, <laughs> to hear what you guys say in the next round. Um, but yeah, I got to go with time stories. It's uh, thematically, it was one of the most interesting experiences I've had playing a game in the last year. And that alone means it has to stay in for me. So time stories, it is on for me. Well, I would love to see the science fiction that goes into this die roll that keeps w- rolling against me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with time stories. I mean, it's, It's a surprising game. You wouldn't think sci-fi just by looking at it, but it's sci-fi through and through. And when you walk away finished with that game, you really do feel like that you went to other worlds and you inhabited other bodies. And it really just is a different type of game. So I'm going to be moving time stories on to the next round. Daniel, can robots cry? (laughs) 
I don't think so. I don't think so. But if they could, they would right now. If they could, they would. The mutants are crying like acid tears or yeah. whatever it is they cry. The, base, the robots are going, why did you teach me to love? <laughs> For our final bracket here, we're looking at our historical slash societal themes. And we have Seven Wonders Duel versus the Voyages of Marco Polo. All right, Daniel, why don't you start us off? Marco Polo! Marco Polo. Polo. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's just a much stronger history theme than Seven Wonders Duel has. Okay. Drew, what about you? First of all, let me say that we're all winners here. <laughs> okay. These, these final four games, remember, they're all category winners. They are all best in breed. And right now, see, I always thought of competitions like this as more like a dog show. Um, we're trying to find best in breed. So now it's a matter of best in show. In that case, I can't escape the, the feeling that Seven Wonders Duel is just a reworking of Seven Wonders. It's all about adapting it to a two-player format. It's not really immersing yourself into the, the history of it all. So Seven Wonders, is it's sort of pedestrian in that sense. When you think about it in terms of history, it's like there's nothing new about it. Nothing really immersive. It's just a way for two people to play where they couldn't really get a good game before. Whereas Voyages of Marco Polo, you you really do have an immersive experience with a, a part of history that you haven't really had a chance to explore before. So there's a lot more joy, a lot more fun in, in getting deeply into this game. Marco Polo for me. All right. And Anthony? I absolutely agree with both of you guys. Uh, it's got to be Marco Polo um, for pretty much every reason Drew said. And I do love Seven Wonders Duel, but um, Voyages of Marco Polo definitely is a, a stronger thematic feel for me in the end. Okay. Well, I'll hold up for Seven Wonders Duel. I do love Voyages of Marco Polo, and I do like the characters and the board as far as traveling. But there really isn't much more for me personally as far as the historical theme is concerned so, final kind of hurrah for Seven Wonders Duel, but it is Voyagers of Marco Polo that's moving on to the final round. So now we're on to our final four, and what we're looking at here is not necessarily what is the best game, but we're looking at the game that best embodies the theme. So, starting off, we are looking at what could possibly be the best economic theme, Food Chain Magnet, versus the best fantasy theme, Blood Rage. All right, Drew, why don't you start us off? All right, Anthony, why don't you start us off? Uh, okay, this is, uh, this is tough. Um, and to, be, to you know, throw it out there, of the top four, these are three, if you had to ask my top three games of the year for last year, probably three of these four games are in there, which doesn't make this any easier. So <laughs> uh, thematically speaking, I think everything does a fantastic job. And it's hard to really find the difference between any of them in terms of which one does it better but in terms of really getting into it and feeling it and kind of almost being overtaken by the theme to the point where i'm like i felt the game a little bit more i'm gonna lean towards blood rage but it's like a one percent lean um and maybe that's just because the fantasy theme historically does it for me a little bit more than an economic theme where i'm tend to just fall into number crunching mode a little bit more whereas in blood rage regardless of the actual mechanisms you really feel it you know you drop that troll on the board and you're you know you want to smash something with it so blood rage for me all right well i'm going to jump in here too 
both of these games are really rich and dripping with theme, and you can't go wrong here. Wow, Blood Rage. As Anthony said, you drop those characters on the board, and these miniatures really do feel like they're about to get in battle, and when you wipe out some characters, you really get into the experience. Uh, Food Chain Magnet really does take you back to those 1950s diners days where you're trying to hire employees they're heading down to the beach and you got to train them up to be part of your team and your team is moving up from kind of like a bus boy over all the way up to like a vp or a ceo um i'm gonna hold out for food chain magnet um as much as i do love blood rage and as much as it does fit the theme there's just something about food chain magnet that the entire time i kind of felt like i was back in that era and the characters that I were playing really did have an impact in the game. So Food Chain Magnet is my pick there. Now, imagine if a, a tribe of bloodthirsty Vikings ran a chain of food stores. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sounds like the next Kickstarter, Drew. <laughs> yeah, we, we got something here. I love mashups. Uh, which of those aspects would be more appealing? Uh, Vikings are hot. It's It's a very popular theme now and blood rage really is riding the crest of that because it's the best of the viking games from the past couple years um really good but it just doesn't appeal to me and i i hate to say that it's not still food chain magnate appeals to me more because it is all about from the bottom to the top economics and trying to to hold it together and keep every little bit of your food empire together and and there's no margin for error you can blow it in so many different ways in blood rage all that can happen is you die i mean that's all you know you get slaughtered food chain magnate i think sometimes is more bloodthirsty all right when you're yeah so i'm going with that all right daniel is it possible that we see the die pop out here? Where, where are you going to go? You know, it's interesting. So listening to everyone's metrics for deciding, uh, Blood Rage, I think, is is vastly more entertaining than Food Chain Magnate. And if I had to choose between playing the two, it'd obviously go to Blood Rage. But that's not what this discussion, uh, this this is about, right? It's about how well they embody their respective themes. And I think because Blood Rage is more fun, I'm going to go for Food Chain Magnate. And the reasoning here is, <laughs> I do not want, like, if I look at myself honestly, I would not enjoy living in the world of Blood Rage. It would be a horrifying and brutal existence, and I would die almost immediately. But I love playing the board game. I would also not want to be part of a large food, fast food conglomerate. And I would definitely not want to be, you know, deep embroiled in that corporate culture. And I don't want to play Food Chain Magnate. <laughs> so wow. I think it's more loyal to the theme because it, I, I, I look at it and I just go, oh, God, that does sound terrible. That's... So it must be good. Right, well, it must. It does a good job of capturing how terrible that would be for me. So I'm going to go for Food Chain Magnate. There's a certain logic there. All right. Well, it's Food Chain Magnet that moves on to the final competition. Now let's take a look at the other final conference competition. So what we're looking at here is, surprisingly enough, we're looking at Time Stories. Our sci-fi bracket winner versus The Voyages of Marco Polo, our historical slash societal theme. And Anthony, why don't you start us off on this? Again? Again. I'll take it. I'll take first this time. All right, all right. You do it. Okay, since I baked off last time. <laughs> you guys are killing me. <laughs> 
I'm really toying with going the other way on this. I love time travel, but I do hear what everyone says about it that, well, what Daniel says about it anyway, that Marco Polo is truer to its bracket, its particular heading as history, as opposed to time stories, which even if it's time travel, it's it's still speculative. It's as much storytelling, like everything's up in the air and it depends on you. It doesn't feel as adhering to the sci-fi elements. It is soft sci-fi, but whereas Marco Polo is really hard history, it, it does a great job of getting deep into what it's like to try to be successful in the in that trading and exploration and building trade routes and and all of that i just think it does a better job of what it's supposed to do so i'm going with marco polo on this all right anthony what about you ah okay yeah i mean this is a tough one for me too again again time stories is one of the the most fun thematic experiences i had last year at the same time marco polo is for me one of the most thematic euros i've played in a long time and i really did feel the theme like drew said um, which, as I mentioned, a lot of the times in these almost economic style games, it just feels like number crunching and it didn't here. So it definitely, it kind of embodies that theme a lot better than what I'm used to for this type of game. But I gotta say like the actual feeling of playing time stories and what, you know, it's hard for me to say it doesn't live up to the sci-fi theme. Cause for me, science fiction is such a wide open space. It's probably the most open of any of these themes. I don't feel like it has to be any one thing. There doesn't have to be aliens or spaceships or any of that it just has to be kind of this speculative different world where you're exploring new ideas and i think it does that really well so i'm going to stick with time stories i think that's uh, for me the the more thematic the more truly thematic game here of the two and daniel what about you you know it's interesting i keep voting against the games i want to play it's just such a perverse scale of, of how well it embodies its theme as opposed to how good it is, in a sense, or how much I want to play it, in a sense. Right? And I, I think I agree with Drew that Voyages of Marco Polo is more history per ounce than Time Stories is sci-fi per ounce. It is more concentrated historicity than Time Stories is concentrated science fiction. So I think I'm going to have to give it to Marco Polo here. All right, so for me, looking at theme, Marco Polo does have some strong elements as far as the history and the characters that you get to play and you really do have to play the characters in order to win that game so you are relying on that that being said time stories man theme throughout the artwork the even the game itself is thematic think about it when you play the first game you play the asylum and that's not really much of a spoiler but once you finish that one shot game once you go into the past once you do some things there and once you come back, there's the Marcy case or there's other types of traveling. So the game itself is thematic because it is the experience of being a time traveler. So I am going with time stories. The die. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we, not on this. We, let's first, let's try to talk each other out of this. Um <laughs> Yeah, we can't just go to the Look, die right over. Even if the die doesn't work out the way that I want it to, I'll just jump back and make sure it does. Uh, weren't you the one who at the very beginning of this call is like, we have to be consistent with our rule set? Uh, no, well, before, let's just see if someone's willing to change their vote because I'm I'm considering it. As Chris was talking, I'm thinking, would I change my vote? I don't know. Would anybody? The one thing that, that really adds to Time Story's charm is how players can create scenarios for it and from very early on people were writing their own uh, scripts for time stories and that that's fantastic that's sci-fi right that's living sci-fi people are just getting right in there and, and writing and creating storytelling in a sense it adds to that um 
I could be persuaded to change my vote. Back to the part where I said, the die. <laughs> the die. The die. Vote. All right. Time story. It's a blue dabu dee dabu die. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just hit me. Nicely done. Uh, <laughs> odds for time stories, even for Marco Polo. 19. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay either way. I like time stories. Time stories! Yay! <laughs> I like time I, I'd rather play time stories. Look, guys, I, I should tell you, I should be honest up front, it did come out even, but I changed it, so we're okay. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> yes <laughs> it was worth it after all all right so look at this we have our final competition the number one for this past year so what we're looking at is food chain magnet versus time stories yeah we got major theme when it comes to both these games and they really do truly fulfill the theme of that category so food chain magnet looking at economic engines building a world and building an intricate world that does take some serious time and planning marketing goods selling goods advertising it's all there in the game time stories all about time travel different adventures kind of going back i don't want to spoil anything so i can't say too much here but let's honestly go back once again to the fact that time stories does allow you to take different adventures and really does play into that kind of quantum leap type of idea i'm going with time stories you know it's interesting because i think all of those things make time stories a better game but i don't think they make it more thematic and the idea here, Reddit, is all about theme, right? And it's kind of like, again, I'm going to draw a parallel to Assassin's Creed. Is Assassin's Creed a science fiction game? Technically? But who felt like they were playing a science fiction game while they were playing Assassin's Creed? That's not what it feels like. Well, the thing about Assassin's Creed, though, is that you're going back into a historical period and playing through that, and that's where you get lost in that. In Time Stories, the stories themselves are not just strictly historical, uh, things happen that lend it down the path of being more science fictiony, mm. and like Chris said, we're kind of bound here not to spoil different you know packages for this game. We don't want to ruin it for anybody, but none of them are like straightforward history necessarily. Um, and you, it's kind of open ended. All these different stories that could be anything, but they all kind of have their own little twists. Yeah. So. Oof. See, I mean, part of the part of the problem here now is I really want to be convinced that time stories could win because I want time stories to win because I like time stories more. But I think that Food Chain Magnet just has such a high percentage of this is about money in it. And I don't know if time stories is always hitting me over the head in the same way. Um, so I think I'm going to stick with my my standard practice of voting against the games I would like to play, uh, and I'm going to vote for Food Chain Magnate. Uh, what a oh. miserable night for you, Daniel. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of up in the air on both these. I love time travel, and I love heavy, heavy games. Um, what I like about Food Chain Magnate is it scratches the same itch that Democker scratches for me. But Demacher, you can actually, because it's about politics and public opinion and trying to curry votes, has really a, a narrative to it. There's, you can create a narrative as you go through it. Um, whereas you, you don't have that 
in food chain magnate. It's it is dollars and cents. It's strictly building an economic engine and making it keeping everything in the air, juggling in the air. Um, but not a lot of narrative, not a lot of stories you can bury yourself into. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because I'm going back to time stories and something very early on in its life as a game, people, players who loved it started creating stories and scenarios for the game. And it, it grew a great body of additional scenarios to play because it inspired, it was almost like it inspired people to write science fiction. It just got people involved in it more and more. And I've never played any of these uh, homemade scenarios, but I love the concept, want to try them. So that sort of thing, the fact that it inspires creativity and it just brings you deeper into that part of science fiction, it allows you to build a narrative and a story. And for that much more, I think I can get more into that as a sci-fi game than I could get into Food Chain Magnet as an economic game. I will have to side with time stories in this matchup. All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everything you guys said, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the same page with. And I can't argue that Food Chain Magnate is a very thematic game and that you really do get the feeling of running that kind of company, both the pain of it, as Daniel mentioned, and the uh, the number crunching aspect of it. Um, and I just, thematically speaking, I just never quite get into that type of game and just, you know, I don't feel it. I'm just looking at the numbers. I'm trying to move things around. And to me, that's not really, that doesn't feel like the kind of theme that we're talking about. To me, theme should be, you know, not just feeling, you know, what it's trying to convey, not just being a part of that universe, but wanting to be more part of it, trying to build on it, trying to build the story of it, you know, creating your own narrative, kind of, there's another level beyond that when it's a truly thematic game. And as Drew said, you know, Time Stories does that and has done that. We've seen that with people doing that um, by writing their own stories and even just playing the ones that come, you know, from Asmodee. They, they have a lot to them, and the experience is unique. So I'm going to go with Time Stories as well. You know, Drew convinced me. The, <laughs> uh, the, the, point about, the, the point about encouraging people to write their own stories. In a sense, right, because I've been thinking about pure theme purely in terms of while you're playing the game. But Time Stories, its real strength potentially as a science fiction game is what it encourages to you to do when you're not playing. Right. This idea of thinking seriously about time travel is necessary if you want to make a good story for it. And I think that might actually push it over because while the theme, I mean, the theme is very strong in time stories as well, but Food Chain Magnate is not going to have you walk out there and going, hmm, I'm going to design a corporation today or I'm going to think about how corporate structures work. Probably. But time stories... Time stories might have you walking out that door and saying, huh, what would the world be like if time travel existed? How would causality function? And so I think I'm going to uh, travel back in time and adjust my vote <laughs> and come over to the winning team for time stories. Oh, man, that's awesome. We're unanimous. The most thematic game in our February frenzy is time stories the best game in 2015 at doing what it set out to do we want you to keep in contact with us so that we can continue this board game discussion on social media do you hate to die as much as we do come on to our social media platforms and talk about it don't forget our facebook twitter 
our BoardGamersAnonymous.com website, our guild on Board Game Geek. And if you want to prevent the die in the future, check out our Patreon account. We really want to get rid of it. <laughs> and the more you donate to us, the more possibilities we have to bring on a fifth person and get rid of that die. Until next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. And we'll save the die a seat at the table, unless it rolls poorly and then we'll get rid of it. That's <laughs> <laughs> my die. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.